Hey, good morning and welcome to The Gathering. My name is Mike Maxwell. I'm a volunteer here at Storyline. Thank you for choosing to spend your Sunday morning with us on this rockin' awesome, beautiful Sunday morning. Um, just a few announcements before we get started. Uh, one, uh, we have this great opportunity. We, you know, we have this outdoor space. We've been enjoying beautiful Sunday mornings out here. And uh, we wanted to do something in a couple weeks on July 18th. We're going to do a picnic here after service. Like, oh, makes a lot of sense, right? Uh, so what we're going to do is we're actually going to have a food truck come in from Woodstock and Grill. Uh, you can buy tickets over at the Hub. It'll be $5 a ticket. Uh, you can also just bring your own food. But we'll basically hang out, uh, eat food, and, uh, and, and it'll be a great time. So a couple things. One is uh, obviously a reminder to buy the tickets. The other thing is that... You know, we were, we're really looking for a fun person. We got all this stuff here. We got a playground. We got basketball hoop. We got pickleball. But if anybody would love to come and volunteer to help us coordinate some games, uh, come see me after the service. We'd love to work with you to, to just make it an even more fun event for everybody. So that's, that's a big thing we got going on July 18th. We'll have the picnic here after the service. Uh, second announcement is around Love Changes Lives. So thank you so much for your participation in June as we partnered with Mosaic for Love Changes Lives. Uh, we have Liz O'Connor here to talk about what we're going to be doing for the month of July as we partner with Michigan Fosters. So let me introduce Liz. Give a big, big round of applause for Liz. All right. Um, I am Liz O'Connor. Uh, my husband, Peter, and I have been attending Storyline for the past five years as a family. We have three children of our own. We have Claire, who's 10, Harrison, who is four, and Ada, who is three. But on any given day, we can have anywhere from three to six children in our home because we are also a foster family. Um, right now, we have two teenage foster daughters living in our home as well. So we have five kids for now. 
Um, this month of July, we are partnering with Michigan Fosters. Michigan Fosters is a nonprofit organization that is currently based in Ottawa County. Um, we'd really like to have a base here in Berrien County as well. Michigan Fosters is there to kind of fill in the gaps in the foster care system. Um, they help anybody from the foster parents to biological families to children in foster care, even the caseworkers. Um, there are three ways that Storyline is going to be working with uh, Michigan Fosters. The first one um, is those Love Changes Live jars are going to be filled and returned, and when they are returned, that money is going to be used to purchase hair care products for African-American children. A lot of times, families will be placed with kids, and they don't know how to take care of their hair, and this is going to be a tool to kind of help them get started um, caring for natural hair. So that's going to be the first way that we are going to help. The second way is we are going to fill one of the deep freezers in my basement full of meals that are already prepared so that when a foster family is in crisis, um, a meal is able to be delivered. I can tell you from experience, when you are dealing with a crisis situation in your home, it is hard to think about what's for dinner. And it was, it brought tears to my eyes to have Michigan Fosters deliver a meal to our house when we needed it most. Um, and then the third way, Michigan Fosters has purchased a home in Holland called Journey Home. Journey Home is there for so many reasons, and it's so wonderful. They are there to be a space where youth in foster care can get training on basic life skills in a home environment. Um, they are there for foster parents to continue with their training. They are there for biological families to be able to meet with their kids in a home so they can bake and craft with them outside of a sterile office building. Um, we, that home has a garage, and that garage is full of bicycles for kids in foster care. But it is dirty and packed and just crammed. We are asking for volunteers to come up to Holland um, to visit Journey Home and on July 15th to help clear out that garage, paint it, install bicycle racks so that they can actually be used. We can actually find the right bike for the right kid. So if you have any questions or would like to talk more about Michigan Fosters and how Storyline is partnering, partnering with them this month, I will be at the Hub after the message. Thank you, Liz. All right, so if you say to yourself, Mike, that was really interesting, but I, I get the, we got volunteering in Holland on the 15th, and we got a picnic on the 18th, but I want to get more information. Can, is there a place where I can get an email about this stuff? Come to the Hub. There's information cards. Please fill it out so you can be up to date on all things Storyline and what's going on here at our church. So, uh, we'll, again, those are info cards here at the Hub. You drop them in, you'll get a regular email about what's going on here at our church. And with that, enjoy the rest of the service. It's 
awesome. Good morning. How are we doing? Happy 4th of July. It's a beautiful day. Eh? Thanks, for choosing, uh, thanks for choosing to be with us. Uh, after a really cold weather week, uh, or not really cold, but a cooler weather week, it's, it's nice to be reminded on what is the hottest day of the weekend with the least amount of wind, what it, what it feels like to sweat profusely. Okay, well, it, it, we got a week off from that, and now we're back at it, hence the sweatband. And I, I have this little fan here just in case, my, my friend Kelsey is her pregnancy fan, so if I can just put it right here if I need to, it won't be distracting at all. Um, I've got my towel, just in case as well. Uh, anyway, um, let me get the computer rolling here. Uh, this, Mike, you were, you were exactly right that this is, this is just a little bit different than maybe what we're, what we're used to, right? In the auditorium, um, none of this is working right now, which is fantastic. So I'm going to vamp here until I can get it working. Uh, hold tight for just a moment. Oh, yeah. When you rely on it, this is what happens. I think we're okay. Um, <laughs> I'm going to try to, I'm going to go off memory here. Here we go. Uh, this is a little bit different, right? I can see your faces, which is not something that we can do at the auditorium. And up until about two months ago, I was uh, doing this in front of Mike Cook's camera. So it feels like this space is a little bit heavier than maybe what, um, 
traditionally we would be used to. There's a little bit more weight this morning than maybe the average talk. And so that's why I want to talk to you this morning about comic books. Uh, or as I like to call them, graphic novels. You see, I've been, I've been reading a lot of comic books lately. Um, there, you might not know this, but some of the, uh, the greatest stories ever written were written as graphic novels, as comic books. Stories like Watchmen and Persepolis and Mouse and Swamp Thing. These, these stories sit on the Times Top 100 list, the greatest stories of all time. Not the greatest comic books of all time, not the greatest graphic novels of all time, but the greatest stories of all time. Yeah, that was my wife's reaction as well. I don't know, there's something, there's something about reading a comic book that takes these really hard themes, right? These comic books don't separate themselves from the hard pieces of life, right? They deal with brokenness and hurt and, and controversy and trial and tribulation. There's something about processing that through a comic book that just makes it feel a lot safer. Um, it makes me feel like I'm 14 again, which is a really safe space. And as I'm looking out in the audience, I'm realizing that that makes a lot more sense to you than it does to me, right? Of course a comic book makes you feel 14 again. That's, that's kind of what it's supposed to do. Uh, but I don't read them for that. I read them for me. I read them because there's something, there's something in them um, for me. But I pay a lot of people to have these conversations, so we should probably move on this morning. Um, anyways, last week at the gathering and, and story online, Mike talked about this idea. He presented this big claim, this big idea, that the best church for you isn't for you. He said the best church for you isn't for you. And he's right, because the best church for you isn't for you. It's for me, um, which is why you're all here. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> that was a joke. No, this idea that the best church for you isn't for you, what he's trying to say is not that there's a better church out there for you, or that we think that we're somehow putting on the best version of church here. No, what he's trying to say is that in order to get the most out of the grace that's offered within the gospel of Jesus, is to be part of a community, to be part of a church that is drawing that grace out, out of you. And therefore, that church is not for you. It's for everyone else. Right? It's that kind of church that's pulling grace out of you for other people. So the best church for you isn't for you. And I just want to say, Mom, I just want to read my comic books. Like, this sounds really, really hard, and I get that. It's this tough, really complex idea, and it makes us long for something before, something, something further back. It makes us long for yesterday, right? This idea that, that, that this space maybe isn't necessarily for us. And I get that, right? I want what I want, when I want it, how I want it. I want to go back to yesterday when my mom just gave me everything I wanted and when, when summer actually meant taking a break. And I think I long for that because I, like, I want the life my kid has. Right? He's, got these, he's got these two clueless parents who have no idea what they're doing, so they just give him whatever he wants, and it looks awesome, and it looks amazing. 
right? That's, life is difficult. And so when we hear the best church for you isn't for you, it makes us long for something else. It makes us long to just hide away and hide from everything else that's going on. Yesterday All my troubles seem so far when they're supposed to come out. So just, you know, when the vibes are right, just come back out. You know, like, um, this is going to be awesome here. This, the wind. This is just going to be incredible. Anyways, that, it's an incredible song, right, by the Beatles long ago, Paul McCartney. That song is standing the test of time because its lyrics stand the test of time, right? It lives in infamy. It speaks to the very heart of this desire, this idea that... Um, we can go back to the times that we hoped for. But what if, what if we didn't hide in the ways of yesterday, right? Apparently, Jesus is trying to tell us that maybe that's not the best way to do, to do this. A couple weeks ago, Mike shared a story about one of Jesus' disciples whose name was Peter. And it's a story where Jesus goes out in the boat. And, um, and during this time, Peter fills his boat with fish. It's, it's called the story of the miraculous catch, right? There's this miraculous catch of fish 
that Peter has, and it's in that moment when the boat is overflowing with fish, when it's overflowing with its success, when he's accumulated all he's ever wanted, that's when Jesus says, leave that behind and come with me because I've got something better to show you, right? That's what we, that's what we mean when we say the, the best church for you isn't for you. However, it does beg this question, right? Well, if the best church for me isn't for me, then what is for me, right? If, if church, if this space isn't, about, isn't for me, then what is for me? Well, luckily and thankfully, God provides a space that is just for us, which brings us to Luke chapter 6. Um, if you've been following along with us for the last few weeks, uh, you maybe have seen this pattern that uh, Mike has been walking through the book of Luke, which has been a really fun um, it's been a fun thing to do. It's been fun, a fun way to prepare talks that way, which is not how we usually do it. But to have a little bit of structure and a little bit of order in, a, in, in this space, in this new space, where we've had to figure a lot of things out, has been really nice. And one of the beautiful pieces of that is watching all of these different ideas line up from week to week. Um, anyway, it feels really, it re- feels really divine. But in Luke 6, we find, we find ourselves, we find Jesus and his disciples, they're transitioning from space to space. And we find them on the Sabbath day. And in here in Luke, just a little bit of context, we're getting a lot of these little stories. We get, we get, we get this little story of this healing over here, or this calling of the disciple over here, or a teaching on this idea over here. But they're little vignettes, they're little pops in the story, four or five per chapter, and, and he's doing that because he's laying the groundwork for the story that is about to come, right? Luke is writing to a group of Gentiles in, in Rome and Greece. What does Gentile mean? That means non-Jewish. So these non-Jewish believers in Rome and in Greece, and he's trying to tell them that this story includes them too. And so he's telling story after story of Jesus coming in and being a part of the world and inviting people who look like them, the outsiders, the outcasts, into his story. He's telling them that they're included because everyone is included in the story of Jesus. And so uh, in Luke 6, we see even more of this. And in verse 1, it says this, on the Sabbath day, uh, Jesus was walking through some of the grain fields and his disciple broke off the heads of the grain, rubbed the husk in their hands, and they ate the grain. But the Pharisee said, why are you breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? And I read that and I'm like, oh man, there is so much in there that we need to unpack. There is so much nuance, but I'm just going to give you the little, bit, the, the, little, the little version here. So uh, Jesus and his followers are hanging out in a wheat field. Why? Why are they hanging out right here in this grain, food, grain field, right? It's pretty easy. They're hungry. Like, that's why they're in this wheat field. They're hungry. You have this nomadic rabbi and this following of anywhere from 12 to 75 ragamuffins, right? Just following behind him. And day after day, it becomes very, very difficult to feed people and like this. Well, luckily, in Jewish culture, there was something in place for when that happened. You see, in ancient Jewish times a farmer would leave a portion of his field 
to be harvested by the widows and the orphans and the foreigners and really anyone who needed food at that time. And so it was, it, it, it was somewhere between 0 and 10%, more than 0% of your field was left for the people who needed it the most and so that they could come and they could harvest as they needed to. This beautiful Jewish custom. So why is Jesus hanging out in, the wheat, in a wheat field on the Sabbath? He's hungry and he's with a group of people who are hungry and he knows exactly where to find food. Well, on, and in this trip, you've got a group of uh, Jewish leaders called Pharisees that are working with him and following him behind him. They ask this question, why are you breaking the law by harvesting on the Sabbath? Feels like a silly question to ask a bunch of hungry people who are just rubbing some grain through their fingers. I don't, I've never eaten raw grain, but I imagine there's a reason why we bake it into bread. Right? Like, these aren't just hungry people, they're desperate people. Right? They're resorting to coming to the grain fields, and the, and the Pharisees are coming and saying, hey, hey, excuse me, section 2, code 3, verse 78 says that you can't do this. It's a very, very, very interesting uh, interaction. And so, what we see is that these Jewish leaders are watching Jesus like they hawk, and they catch him breaking the law, because technically... He was. He was harvesting on the Sabbath. But they were doing it because what what Jesus represented, which was an incredible threat to the systems of comfort and convenience that these religious leaders had built. They had found an incredible amount of comfort in keeping things the way they were and keeping things the status quo. And here comes this Jesus with all these great ideas about including people and, and saying, you know what, it's okay. We're going to eat because we're hungry and we're going to eat right now. Um, anyway, we moves on into verse 3. And, he's, and, he said, and so Jesus responds to that question this way. He says, haven't you read the scriptures, what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went to the house of God and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves that only the priests can eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And Jesus added, the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. So Jesus responds by telling this very interesting story about David. This is the same David from uh, David and Goliath. Maybe you were familiar with that story. This is the same David. And from that story, he gets kind of a little bit of a reputation. So we have to think about King David the same way we do George Washington, right? King David is to Jewish history what George Washington is to American history, to our history, right? And so when, so when Jesus is telling, he's saying, hey, remember this story about this guy who went into the temple and stole the loaves of bread from the priests? That guy? We celebrate that guy. We herald that guy as, one, as the greatest leader of our time, right? He's calling out a double standard and saying, hey, when, when it comes to our king, breaking the rules, we don't seem to have an issue with it. But when a bunch of hungry people are just trying to fill their stomachs, we're asking questions about breaking the law. Here's another detail that we need to remember about the Sabbath day. And maybe he's lost here. Why, why, are this, why are the Pharisees making such a big deal out of this? Well, the penalty for working on the Sabbath was death. If you were, if you were found guilty to be working on the Sabbath day, you were put to death. This is an incredibly serious 
thing. And yet Jesus is saying, you're missing the forest through the trees. You're missing the point of what this day is meant to be for. Anyways, Luke quickly jumps, the author of this part of the story, that little vignette ends right there, and he quickly jumps to another Sabbath day story. And so Jesus is preaching in the temple on the synagogue. It's a completely different day. And it says this, A man with a deformed hand was in the synagogue while Jesus was teaching. And the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees watched Jesus closely. If he had healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. And if they accused him of working on the Sabbath, what would that mean? But Jesus knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the deformed hand, Come and stand in front of everyone. So the man came forward. Imagine this moment for a second. Right? Like Jesus is standing in front of a crowd of people. He's teaching on a passage from the Torah, from the original writings of Moses. And I wonder if he just catches the eye of the man with a deformed hand. Maybe he's seen this man before. Maybe he's, he's noticed him in his times, you know, traveling amongst the Galilean desert. I wonder if he could have, he could have like pulled him aside after, right? Could, could, he, could he have found him after the service, pulled him aside, and healed the hand there? Probably, maybe, but I like to imagine Jesus catching, catching eye contact with that guy, right? Catches eye contact, and he looks over here at the Pharisees, and he looks back, he looks over there, and then he calls him up. Like, I like to imagine Jesus knowing exactly what he was doing, he, because he's trying to make a point here. He's trying to tell us that this thing that we're holding on to, this idea of this law and this rule, it's killing us. The next verses say this, Jesus asking a question now with this man in front of him, right, with this man with the deformed hand, he says, I have a question for you. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath? Or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them one by one and said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. And listen to this. At this, the, 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 the language changes. It says, at this, the enemies of Jesus were wild with rage and began to discuss what to do with him. What a, what a strange reaction to a miracle of a man's hand being healed in front of you. They were wild with rage. Jesus is asking us, what is this day for? What is the purpose? Why are we doing this if we can't do good? If we're, all we're going to be is right and follow the rules, even when it comes at the cost of another person's life, is there really any point to this at all? Isn't it better to be good rather than right? He says it this way. Is this day, is the Sabbath day meant to save life or destroy it? Now that's a big question. And to answer that question, and, or to try to answer that question, we've got to go all the way back to the beginning, which if you've heard me speak from time to time, you might have guessed that that's where we were going because... I talk about the first chapter of Scripture a lot. I think it's the greatest pilot episode in all 
of creation, right? In this very first chapter of the Bible, we have this incredible poem, this poem that includes seven different parts, six days, uh, uh, seven, seven days of creation. In the first stanzas of Scripture, we have this bang, this explosion of energy where God is on the move, flowing in and through a space that we would eventually call Earth. And there are seven parts to this first telling of the story. Seven days where God is crafting and forming and creating. And each one of them, each one of these days in this poem, has the same rhythm. They have the same cadence. At least the first six days do, right? After each one of these days, after God creates the sky and the land or the earth and the stars and the moon or the vegetation, at each one of those days, he said there was evening and there was morning the first day. There was evening and there was morning the second day, the fifth day, and so on. But when we get to the seventh day, when we get to the seventh part of this poem, it looks a little bit differently. it, It says this, by the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all of his work, and then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. That's the seventh day. God finishes the work by resting. The work doesn't end on day six. It ends on day seven. He finishes the work by resting. On this day, the rhythms have changed. There's a new energy. There's no longer an evening and a morning. There's no alarm clocks and to-do lists and bedtimes. The work finishes, and then the celebration begins, and it includes connection and presence and rest. And it's from here that this idea of the Sabbath day becomes part of Hebrew culture. This tribe, this tribe of people, this Hebrew tribe of people, they were going to be different. Every other tribe put all of their energy into all seven days, but this tribe was going to have a different rhythm. They were going to look different. They were going to act different. And so on the seventh day, they rested. And it became uh, became such a part of their culture that farmers started taking the seventh year of harvesting off. And so after six years of planting and growing and processing food, they would, they would take the seventh year completely off. They, they called it letting the land lie fallow. And what they found is in, that, in this seventh year, when they wouldn't touch the ground for an entire year, 365 days, that the minerals and the nutrients would replenish in the soil and so that you'd get six more years of completely full grain to make great bread. Six years on, one year off you get even better bread. This, this idea of rest and Sabbath and creation, it is baked into creation. And the, the God of the universe and, and this tribe of Hebrew people, he, they seem to understand this. But as the tribe grew, the need for accountability grew as well. As you imagine, when you, as your group gets bigger, some people might have different opinions, or there might be dissenting voices. And so they try to skirt past the issues, the desire to accumulate and grow and, and, and hoard and amass became very present. And so these rules and these boundaries had to start to develop in order to preserve that principle of the Sabbath day. 
This is how we get from this day of celebration and connection and presence to the day that if you work on the Sabbath day, it's death. Pretty significant departure, if you ask me. Uh, Mike, you can come up now. But the penalty was so high. The death. Um, so is this day meant to save life or is it meant to destroy it? Of course, boundaries are required. I'm not saying that life is meant to live limitless. I think boundaries are good. I think accountability is good for us in the soul. But what, at, the, at the heart of this, what Jesus is trying to teach us when we hear him say something like, the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath, is that this day isn't for God. God doesn't need this day from us. This day, this idea, it's for us. God doesn't need anything from us for him to love us. There's nothing he can do to get, for, to, for us to get him on our side because he is already on our side. What he wants for us to live a life lived within the flow of a Sabbath rhythm, a life where we incorporate rest and connection and presence into our creation process, a life where the moments are not hurried where we're not in a hurry, where we recalibrate ourselves into the mission of grace that God is inviting us into. And when we do that, and we accept that invitation, I wonder how our lives will begin to change. And I wonder how our relationships would begin to change. And I'm wondering what we would notice.
man, I love, I, I just love that song. Um, actually, when, when I can't find any of my comic books, this is one of the albums that I'll put on to get that recalibration and that recentering. I find that music helps a lot with that. When my brain gets way out ahead of me and starts spinning and spiraling, I just need to be grounded again. I'll turn on music. Um, and this is one of those albums that I do because I need to be reminded that I, I'm not in a hurry. I don't need to be. Um, when we take moments to rest and to recognize um, that we can't do it all, right? Like that's what we're doing. When we, when we take that moment to recognize that we can't do it all, that's when the magic starts to happen. When we say yes to receiving God's grace, it opens ourselves to the possibility of becoming a conduit of God's grace, which is exactly where we're intended to be. My friend Chris Tooley used to tell me that healthy people do healthy ministry. And I think he's right because healthy people do a lot of healthy things. That's right. Healthy people are healthy people. They're healthy partners. They're healthy moms. They're healthy dads. And they're healthy coaches, healthy teachers. They're healthy small business owners and healthy citizens, right? That's the magic of this. The more that you let go of, the more that you gain. It's counterintuitive. It's illogical. But healthy people don't need a church that's for them. No, healthy people find themselves as part of a community that's furthering the mission of grace throughout all of creation. And at this point, you might be asking yourself, but Paul, okay, you've said a bunch of fancy words and told a bunch of cute stories, but what actually does this mean? And to that, I'll tell you, I don't have any idea. <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't have any clue because I'm not you, right? I know what it looks like for me, and I think it starts with this. I think it starts with listening to our bodies, right? I think it starts when we stop ignoring the alarm bells that are going off in our brains every second of the day. So for me, that looks like comic books and searing delicious meats with my closest friends and playing catch with Bo after daycare. It's leaving the phone in the car on date night and it's listening to really, really loud punk music with the, with the windows all the way down. That's what recenters and calibrates me. And it also, it looks like this. It looks like exactly what we're doing now. It's a space where I can come and I can gather with a group of people who are all just trying to figure this really hard thing called life out. We're trying just to go day by day and do life in the best way possible. And it's finding connection in that space that draws the best out of us. And we recognize that I can't do this on my own and maybe I'm not supposed to. And so when we gather with a group of people like this and say, yeah, I can't do it. Yeah, me either. Okay, let's do it together then. Right, like that's what this space is supposed to to be for, and you can begin to see how this idea can begin to transform the very nature and meaning of who we are and what we do. For instance, say you're an engineer at Whirlpool. Maybe what that actually means is that you're pushing the boundaries of what we thought was possible in the world and opening up a whole new space for opportunity and reimagining how we could organize our life. If you're a stay-at-home parent, right, if you're a full-time parent, you're making the daily investments into our future of our world. 
doing the hard work of cultivating this next generation. It's the same for our teachers and the coaches. You're doing that very same thing. If you're a small business owner, maybe you're actually a stabilizing force in your employees and their families' lives. Their employment brings them opportunity. And your creativity and your leadership can expand the boundaries of opportunity that they never thought were possible. That's what the promise of grace flowing in and through us can look like. And it's that promise that we find and we rest in on our Sabbath day. So may you believe in that promise. May you find space in your world and find rest and connection, and presence. May your desire for free-flowing grace be stronger than the facade of an overflowing boat. And may the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Have a happy 4th of July, my friends. Happy Sunday. Quick reminder to grab your food tickets at the Hub right here. Have a great day.